You're listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's topic is entitled Three Days. Hello my radio friends, it's great to have your company today where I share with you about various issues from a biblical point of view. In the times of social distancing because of the coronavirus, someone my wife and I have had some interaction with in the past dropped by and left an Andre Ryu DVD and a small document he had prepared in our letterbox. To protect his identity, I'll call him Jim. This man had previously belonged to the Mormon church, but while there felt something was drastically wrong. So, after many years, he left. Since then, he's been finding his way in Christianity. For some people, there are many adjustments to be made to their thinking when they change churches. Besides that, there are new friends to make. But as people are led by God's Spirit into truth, those who are honest in heart are prepared to sacrifice friendships and past ties in order to follow where God leads. And I'm aware that some of you listening to me speaking today recognise what is truth but have not come out of the lives you are currently leading because there are ties that yet bind you. Family and family opinion have held many from breaking free and going where God leads them. But I have this to say to you, the longer you leave making the break, the harder it will be to make it. Well, back to Jim. On the back of the one-page document he'd prepared, he wrote, I would appreciate it if you could kindly check this for me, re-accuracy. Well, I did that. But you might be wondering why I'm sharing this information with you. It is because Jim brought up several issues that others have speculated on, so I thought you might like to hear the answers. The first issue, Jim wrote about Easter and how pagan practices entered the Christian church so that now Christians celebrate Christmas and Easter. These two festivals were not part of the Christian calendar until well after the Christian church was established. Eggs, Easter bunny and the like were originally only to do with paganism but were adopted and adapted and reassigned meanings that made these festivals acceptable. The Roman Emperor Constantine was largely responsible for marrying paganism with Christianity. Now secondly, Jim brought up the timing of Christ's death. And I quote from Jim's document, and here's what he said. The most glaring mistake in our present-day Easter is having Jesus in the tomb for only one day and two nights, not 
three full days, 72 hours. Well, I know that the Worldwide Church of God, otherwise known as the Armstrong Movement, thinks that Jesus must have been crucified earlier than Friday for him to have lain in the tomb for 72 hours. So now I want to share with you my reply on this issue to Jim. I read with interest your document entitled How Did Easter Originate? What you wrote about pagan festivals being incorporated into Christianity via Constantine and with corruption creeping into the apostolic church is pretty much what I understand to be the case. Perhaps you should do some more research into the three days and three nights of Christ in the tomb and the emphasis you make on three full days, making a total of 72 hours. The Gospel writers have given certain time markers in regard to the passion, death and resurrection of Jesus. Matthew, one of the Gospel writers, was probably at Christ's crucifixion, and John, we know, was definitely there. So, at what time of the day did the Gospel writers say Jesus died? Well, Matthew 27, verses 46 to 50, gives the answer. It says, From the sixth hour, that's midday, to the ninth hour, that's three o'clock in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there, they heard this, they said to themselves, He's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit, that is, he died. Jesus died soon after the ninth hour, and that's after 3 p.m. So the next big question is, which day of the week did Jesus die? Was it Wednesday, Thursday or Friday? Well, Mark chapter 15 tells the story of the crucifixion, but in verse 42 adds, it was preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath. Luke chapter 23 and verse 54 confirms that. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. And the Gospel of John, chapter 19, verses 31 to 33, says the same thing. Now we know that the Sabbath was Saturday. According to the Genesis account of the days of the week, the day begins at sunset. Sabbath began at sunset on Friday, and ended at sunset on Saturday. That practice has continued to the present times. Jews and other Sabbath keepers 
end their workday week at sunset on Friday evening when the Sabbath begins. Friday was known as Preparation Day, for that was when food was prepared and everything made ready for the Sabbath, when no work was to be done. In the Jewish calendar, only the sixth and the seventh day of the week had names. They were Preparation Day and Sabbath, respectively. The other days only had numbers. Well, since Jesus died on Preparation Day, it's easy to extrapolate that he died on Friday. It was somewhere soon after 3 p.m., and he was buried before sunset on Friday. In order to successfully determine how long Jesus was in the tomb, we need to find out when Jesus rose from the dead. Each of the Gospel writers concur that early in the morning of the first day of the week, what we now call Sunday, the women were the first to arrive at the tomb where Christ was buried on the previous Friday afternoon. And you can read that for yourself in Mark chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, Matthew chapter 28, verse 1, Luke chapter 24, verse 1, and John chapter 20. Verse 1. When the women, and later some of the disciples, reached the tomb, it was empty. Jesus had risen before they arrived. The Gospel writers do not say precisely when Jesus arose. However, it is reasonable to assume it was before dawn, Sunday morning. It might have been around 4 a.m. Now, when one adds up the hours, the maths goes like this. Say, 6 p.m. Friday to 6 p.m. on Saturday, that's 24 hours. 6 p.m. Saturday to 4 a.m. Sunday equals 10 hours. Total, 34 hours. It's a long way short of 72 hours. What Jesus had said about his entombment is recorded in Matthew 12, verse 40. And he said, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man, that's Jesus, will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Three actual days and three nights amounts to 72 hours. But, According to the time markers, as I have previously shown, Jesus was in the heart of the earth, buried, that is, for approximately 34 hours during part of Friday, Saturday and Sunday. How does one answer this dichotomy? The Worldwide Church of God people extrapolate backward and say Jesus need to have been buried early Thursday morning. But that is purely speculative, because the Gospel writers clearly point out that he was buried on Preparation Day, Friday, just before the Sabbath began. The only way to solve this problem is to examine the expression three days and three nights. Is it literal 
or is it idiomatic? I believe the expression three days and three nights is idiomatic. It is similar to saying a glass is full, although it's not completely full. Probably the same idiomatic days expression would apply to John 11 verse 6, where Jesus and the disciples remained for two more days before going to Bethany. Was that exactly 48 hours? Probably not. More likely, it was part of two days. I've read some of the arguments for three literal days and nights, and some of the arguments for losing, using the term loosely. I favour the idiomatic interpretation. More importantly, we can praise the Lord that Jesus did rise from the dead. Without that, everything else is meaningless. Jesus died to save you and me. His resurrection is as important as his death. If he was still in the tomb, we would be no better off worshipping him than a dead cat. But he is risen, and we, provided we have accepted his atoning sacrifice and obey, honour and serve him, will be given eternal life. We're going to have a little break, and I'll go on with the next issue straight afterwards.
Now we come to the third issue. In the section you wrote, Earth was formed in six days, you stated this, Scientists have proved there is a huge discrepancy. What he's saying is that scientists have proved that there is a big discrepancy between the evolution theory and what the Bible says about the creation of the world. But I question the word proved. And But I do agree there is a huge discrepancy between the popular idea of long periods of time according to the evolution theory and the times given according to the Bible's explanation of origins. But proved? I think that's doubtful. Are you aware that there is a huge disagreement among scientists about times taken for evolutionary process? The theory of evolution is a widely accepted theory, but not all the scientists are in agreement, nor do they speak with one voice. Even that outspoken champion of evolution, Richard Dawkins, has admitted that evolution may have taken only a short time. The scientific community is quite divided when it comes to long time periods. Many top scientists accept creation, or, as is sometimes called, intelligent design, while others subscribe to a catastrophic theory. What gets filtered through to the general public on the sub subject of origins is by no means current scientific thought. And you must also realise that the theory of evolution and the study of it is not science. It is conjecture, because proof is impossible, as no one was there to witness what happened in the beginning. The acid test of proper science is that an experiment or process must be able to be replicated. So where or when has anyone replicated the process of changing inorganic compounds to become living organisms? It's been tried many times, but failed. God is the life giver. In him only is life. Now, theistic evolutionists try to marry evolution and the Bible, and therefore the clear statements of the Bible are watered down or changed to say something other than what is meant. To explain away the creation week discredits the Bible. Some, like the Jehovah Witnesses, have come up with the novel idea that a day in creation was a thousand years, because... They have misapplied the text in 2 Peter 3 8. That verse says, With the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. In the creation account, a day is referred to as an evening and a morning. And you can check this up for yourself, say in Genesis chapter 1 verse 19. So if one takes the view that a day is a much longer period of time, say, for example, a thousand or more years, that would give 500 plus years of daytime and 500 plus years of night. 
A 500-plus year night would mean all plants would die and the earth would freeze up. A 500-plus year day would cause everything to roast. But it's just as easy to misapply that verse in 2 Peter the other way round. If someone calculates that the earth is, say, 10,000 years old, the misapplication would bring it to 10,000 days, which is in the actual time is only about 28 years. What Peter meant is that God is not bound by time as we are. Exodus chapter 20 verse 11 is clear that the Lord made the heavens and the earth in six days and rested on the Sabbath. And the verse says this, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. If God is infinite, as I believe he is, there is no problem about what means were used to create the world. God spoke and it was. God is not limited by what man thinks is possible or not. To me, I accept God as almighty and far superior to man in every way. I cannot and I dare not try to explain away something in the Bible that is beyond my comprehension. I therefore must accept what the Word of God says. As soon as anyone puts a spin on God's Word, they, by implication, are setting themselves up above God, which is blasphemy. God is not limited as we humans are. Psalms chapter 33 verse 6 reiterates, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. I believe it is wise methodology to test man's theories by the Bible, and not the Bible by man's theories. In my library I have a shelf of books on the creation-evolution ideas including books about the differences of opinion within the evolutionist community. It is laughable that many leading scientists in that field are quite scathing of each other. The glue that is supposed to hold the theory of evolution together is not very effective. So, Jim, I cannot agree with you that scientists have proved there is a huge discrepancy. They might have stated, they might have said, they might have assumed, they might have extrapolated, but they have not proved anything. Let me present a few lesser widely known facts for your consideration. Let's begin with dating methods. Radiocarbon dating is probably the best known of the eight or so dating methods. When a fossil, bone fragment or a piece of rock is dated, the result is usually given as a range from a minimum to a maximum. For example, the object might be considered a few hundred years old to several hundred million years old. The scientists then have a dilemma. 
Do they give the range? Or do they pick a number that they think is acceptable to the general public? Well, they do what is most unscientific. They choose a number, somewhere in the middle or at the higher end. Dating methods are not reliable, and I'm sad to say that well-known scientists in the field of origins are not either. Currently, I'm reading a book about paleoanthropology called Contested Bones. The deceit, the hoaxes, the cover-ups and wild assumptions made about finds of primitive man completely undermine the credibility of that field of science. One more thing. Here is a statement provided by evolutionists to define what evolution is. Listen to this. Evolution is a significant unidentified force which through long periods of time guides the formation and order of extremely complex molecules and exceptionally intricate functions of those molecules resulting in an ordered diverse community of fauna and flora. Well, that sounds like some sort of creator to me. But in reality, the statement is nothing but gobbledygook, made to sound impressive. If this force is unidentified, how do they know it exists? Secondly, how does a non-intelligent force have the ability to guide in order to make extremely complex organisms and functions. I know I've spent a lot of time addressing the proved part of your statement, but I feel very strongly that the scientific community has not been very honest about some of these so-called discoveries they have made. Jim. I'm very glad you have recognised the part played in creation by Christ, as revealed in John 1, 1 to 3, Colossians 1, 16 and Hebrews 1, 12. I commend you for searching the scriptures, and as you continue to do so with an open heart, may you not only find truth, but may you find the God of truth, our dear Saviour Jesus, and the way to eternal life. So, listeners, that's it for today. I hope I've answered some of your questions in this answer to Jim.